Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. This morning we begin a new series entitled Reformation as a takeoff of the Protestant Reformation. In each installment we're going to walk through Jesus's reformation of what he calls acts of righteousness found in Matthew chapter 6. Today we will examine the subject of giving as well as addressing many of the misconceptions about giving. Thanks for following along as we pursue reformation together. In the quiet <clears throat> well, good morning. You guys remember this? Come on, be honest. Who, who played with Play-Doh when they were a kid? Show of hands here. I'm doing a little unboxing here in church this morning. <clears throat> Uh, there's something about Play-Doh that's, that's just fantastic. I remember as a kid, uh, it seemed like anything was possible that you could uh, create anything that your imagination could come up with. I'm going to hand a couple pieces to the choir members here. See if they can. So here's your task. Make, make, something, make something beautiful. Make something wonderful. Here's what's going to happen. As they're uh, playing with it, you're going to find the church is going to erode real soon. It's gonna, we're we're going to turn into recess here pretty quick. Anyone down here? Barry? So the, the cool thing is with Play-Doh is that whatever the, uh, the maker has in mind, uh, they can create. Uh, they, can, they can make something whimsical. They can make something useful. They can make something uh, that they would enjoy to play with. And then they can reform it and, and use it for something else. <clears throat> Uh, any, anybody ready? You got something over there? All right. All right, good. So in a lot of these uh, new Play-Doh um, packs today, uh, they include one of these. You know what these are? Uh, these extruders that allow you to turn things into a pattern. The problem is that whatever the maker intended it to be, as soon as it goes into the machine, comes out, kind of makes me think of deer sausage right now, right? But <laughs> just comes out like that. Anybody else have something? Well, you gotta put it all one piece of Ah, look at this. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> now, what do you think that's gonna turn into when it goes in here? Let's see, some more sausage, ready? Let's see. Yep, some more sausage. Yeah. Barry, you got anything for us or this? Oh, all right. Like little dice. The sad thing is, is that whatever the whatever the maker intended it to be, as soon as it gets influenced, according to this press, whatever they wanted it to be doesn't exist anymore. It, it now looks the way the press wants it to look. This is called conformity. That's what this is called. That whatever the original designer intended it to look like is lost. It's as a, it is. Should we put it through your life? See what happens. Just, just to be fair here. Ready? There it is. Looks the same. Looks like sausage. Yeah. Um, th- this illustration is one that I picked this morning because. Uh, we all live in a world that wants to conform us, wants to change us. 
It wants to shape you into its mold. Where God is your maker, God as your designer has built you for a purpose. Has crafted you in such a way that you are unique. And yet every one of us enters this world on the journey of understanding what that uniqueness might look like. All too soon, however, to be pressed through the mold of what our world wants us to look like. This is why I believe that the church is in continual need of something called reformation or reformation. That God would take you and I, and maybe you can recognize the time in your life where you said, yeah, Pastor Ryan, I know that there was a time that this is what I felt like. The world was pressing me into its likeness. I was being made in the image of the world's desires, the world's values, the thing that the world chooses to have us look like. That's what I used to look like. What Jesus has come to do is to free you from all of that. And that in the hands of the master craftsman, he would again mold you and shape you and cause you to be used to no longer look like the world, but to have a shape that would bring him glory, a shape that would bring him honor. Jesus saw this as of primary importance. As we um, look to read the story of the Gospels, you'll recognize that very early on in Jesus' ministry, He began to teach the crowds a kind of reformation of their thinking. Because he saw that they were all being pressed into the image of the world. If you turn with me in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, that's where we're going to be this morning. But in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus will start out by saying, You have heard that it was said, and then he'll list out part of the law. Thou shalt not... Commit adultery, thou shalt not murder. But then Jesus says, But I say to you, and you see what he's doing? He's reshaping the people's values. He's reshaping how they think. Jesus is in the business of reforming us. The spirit that has been given to you and I to indwell your hearts is given to you such that you no longer have just the ability to be squeezed into the world's mold. But you now have God himself speaking to your hearts, helping to reshape and reform you to look like a children, a child not of this world, but to look like a child of God's world, a child of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be, and I'm entitling this message uh, Reformation on Giving. Uh, that what Jesus does is he continues in this reshaping of values, this reshaping of what people think, is to hit right off the bat the topic of giving. And I thought just as uh, we kind of start, start out into this uh, lesson for this morning, that maybe you have a little bit of reshaping yourself needed uh, with giving. Uh, this topic is one that is very... Uh, very important to the writers of the New Testament. In fact, it's, it really fills uh, the pages. And yet it's one that's not often taught in church. You, you don't hear too many messages on giving. And li- likely because you and I have all been shaped into the world's thinking on giving. So to that end, I'd like to give you a quiz. Can, can we have a quiz this morning? Everybody got something to write with? 
Here we go. I want you to evaluate these statements. And these, I got to confess, I stole. I stole this uh, survey from uh, Christianity Today, um, asking five questions to the church elders on the subject of giving. And I just like to see how you do. Let's just see how you do this morning. And you, you see how much you have been molded by the world. Question number one: uh, When the economy is down, we can't expect people to give. Is that true or false? When they, what, dot, dot, don't say the answer, just write it down. <laughs> A or B, right? Uh, when the economy's down, we can't expect people to give. Question number two. If we urge people to give, they get upset. Uh, your, your options say that's true because finances are a sensitive subject and it's unbiblical to bring up money in church. I did not hear any amens. I didn't hear any. That's good. Or uh, B, I disagree. Giving is an issue of discipleship. And people will respond to it as such. All right, question number three. People don't want to give. That's mostly true. Option A. Uh, People say they want to give, but it's all talk. Right? It's all talk. Or B. uh, No, that's wrong. Generally speaking, people want to give to the church. All right, question number four. If we help people, they will generously give back to the church. Uh, Option A says that statement is true. People who receive the church's aid will want to contribute. Option B says that statement is false. Giving is unrelated to the charity that's received. It's kind of a, uh, if I get something, I'll give something. That's kind of the nature of this question. Last one. Um, All we need is to teach the Bible and to pray. Option A, that's false. Sometimes church leaders need to remind men and women of their biblical responsibility to give sacrificially. Or B, that is true. People can make the connection between God's word and the spirits leading on their own. All right, want to see how you did? The survey survey says, what is it? Is that family feud? Does that survey says? So on uh, option number one, uh, people don't give when the economy is down. The answer is... B, that's false. Uh, people give no matter what. At least that's what the folks at Christianity Today found. Uh, when I was <clears throat> starting out my, with my family uh, to become missionaries, we had to raise support. We had to go and ask the church and ask folks to support us out of their own pockets. Because our agency doesn't pay us, the church pays us. Now, what year? Can you remember what year did we go through kind of a recession in America? What year was that? 2008? Yeah, guess what year I became a missionary? 2008. And guess what? We got all the support that we needed. That the church was right there to give. When the economy was tanking was the exact year that the Lord called us into full-time missionary service. That seems kind of bad timing from an economics perspective, but not from God's perspective. It's not true that people don't give when the economy dies. In fact, people give no matter what. Uh, number two was if we urge people to get angry and the answer is false. No, people respond when they're asked. They don't get upset. Uh, answer to number three, that people don't want to give. That is also false. Generally, people do want to give. How are you guys doing so far? Anybody passing the quiz? All right, good. And number five, people give only when they get. Again, answer is uh, B, false, that generosity is unrelated to charity. At least that's what their survey found. Anyone see a pattern here? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, number five, only preach the Bible and pray. I just had to switch it up a little bit there. 
The right answer was A. Uh, no, in fact, uh, we need reminders. We need to be challenged. I would like to make the argument this morning that um, a, a sermon on reforming how we think about giving is not a sermon that comes from me. All right, So let me just begin at the outset as we look into God's word today. That this has nothing to do with the pastor. All right? This ain't the pastor or the session elders fishing for more money. All right? That's not what this is. Uh, also, uh, the Bible will speak about giving in a larger sense. But this morning's message is going to focus on monetary giving. Uh, there are a lot of ways that you can give. Amen? There, there's a lot of ways to give to the Lord. Uh, but we're going to look specifically at uh, giving out of our means. Giving in terms of a financial contribution. Uh, to begin with, let's look at Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through 4 uh, as to what Jesus has to say to the folks about giving. What page? 1503. Page 1503. Jesus says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Apparently, in Jesus' day, there was a need for a reformation. Uh, that when people thought about giving, they had been pressed into a mold that saw that what I give really ought to give a reflection based upon how great I am. Right? Uh, I am giving a tenth to this morning of all that I have. And I don't know about you, but that's what I'm doing because I love the Lord. <laughs> they, they saw this as evidence for what you should do when giving. I saw this firsthand when I lived as a missionary. That there were churches that we would go to, and, and while we were serving in the Caribbean, I taught pastors and church leaders. So Sunday after Sunday, we would, we would visit some of my students' churches. And more often than not, when it was time to receive the offering, you would find that whoever was leading the service would say, All right, who's giving $100? $100, come on up right now. I need, I need $100. We're not moving on to the service till we get $100. $200. Who's going to get $200? And I would sit I would sit in the back and I would do the, the universal symbol for all my money. In a culture that really works off of this paradigm for glory and honor, when you gave to God, they saw it as a chance to receive glory. Jesus says, You're, you've been squeezed into a mold. You've received your reward in full already. You might as well keep your money. God's not honored by that because you are the one who gets honored by that. And I fear today that we still need reformation for when, it, when we think about giving. When, when the ushers come down to the front and when, and when the plates make their way by you, what do you think? How, how do you envision it when, you, when you're writing out the check or when it comes time to give to the Lord? What goes through your heart? 
I have in your sermon notes listed here, but we'll go through them. Some misconceptions on giving. Number one is membership. Some people think, oh, I'm, I only give if I'm a member. And I'm not a member of Grace Presbyterian, so I, I, don't, I don't need to give. That's, that's not up to me. That's only for members. Uh, you think of it, and the, the distortion, the way that you have been uh, confused by that, is similar to like a country club. That, that these are the fees, right? So Grace Presbyterian members, let's go. Got to pay your fee. Now we talk about that a little bit when it comes to, what is it, Bonnie, that we have to pay to the... Per capita. Per capita, so that's kind of a different situation. It's not for services rendered. That's not why you're giving to God. That's a misconception. You've been tricked into thinking how the world thinks about payment. That's not how you should give to the Lord. Uh, The second one here is out of duty. This is the idea of uh, obligation, right? We got to keep the lights on. We we got to pay a pastor. We got to keep the uh, the food pantry stocked. So we we got to give, and that's the reason why that it's my duty. Uh, the pastor over in uh, Bethlehem Baptist in uh, Minnesota, John Piper, gives a really wonderful illustration of this. Uh, he he uses the illustration of uh, giving um, flowers to his wife. So. I don't know if I can steal one of these. Did these come apart? Yeah, they can come apart. If you, uh, so what he does is he, he, uh, he says, imagine that he were to pick up some flowers from the uh, local supermarket. And, and he goes to the front door of his house and, and he knocks just like a gentleman, right? And his wife comes to open the door and he pulls out the flowers. He says, here. And she says, oh, why? Why did you? He says, it's my duty. doesn't seem to connect right but but rather what it should look like is uh, she opens up the door and she says oh why why did you and he said I just couldn't help myself I love you so much I saw flowers I just had to buy them right that that's the response for the giving you don't say because I have to take them And sometimes when we think about giving to God, we do so in a sense of, oh, it's just my obligation. It's just my duty. And you've been fooled. You've been, you've been squeezed. You've been conformed into the world's image. Um, righteousness sake. Some people think that when they give to the Lord, they're really earning more bonus points with God. I'm going to tack on an extra 50 cents today, right? And you know, give God a little tip, right? Because that tends to be how we think. If you get a bonus at work, boy, don't you feel good? Yeah, boy, I feel appreciated, right? So I'm going to do the same for God. I'm really going to kick up my points here with God. You're you're not earning anything with God with giving. And in fact, if you think that you are earning some sense of righteous standing before God, you're failing at the exact point that Jesus speaks to in Matthew chapter 6. It's not for righteousness sake that we give. It's a misconception. Some people give out of guilt, uh, compulsion, manipulation, false expectations, uh, this was something that we encountered when we were trying to raise support because if, if someone asks you for money, first of all, that's a hard thing to do, especially as a missionary. It's a tough thing to do, but you kind of feel obligated a little bit. And what we found is that there would be a group of people we would follow up with with phone calls, and they were always kind of on the fence. Well, the budget's kind of tight right now, and it's kind of hard. And some would give, but it was out of this sense of guilt. Like, geez, I haven't done much else, so let me, let me write you a check. I, that's not why you give. 
In fact, God doesn't want your money if you're giving out of guilt or compulsion or obligation. That's not why he wants you to give. Number five is uh, the tithe. Uh, This, uh, to really get it across properly, is going to take a little bit more more time, but let me try to give it to you very succinctly. Uh, That the tithe in which is a misconception is the one in which you think of the Old Testament law of the tithe. You were to give how much percent? You were to give 10%. And in the Old Testament law, that wasn't just your income. That was also your livestock. That was also what came from the crops of your field. So you were giving 10% off of what you sold, 10% of what you brought in, and 10% of what grew. A little bit more than 10% if you started adding them all up. And if you did so, you were obedient to the law. If you were to look up the word tithe in the New Testament... You will find that it's used, depending upon how your translation uh, records it, between seven and ten times. That's it. In the New Testament, it only shows up seven or or ten times, depending upon your translation. And not a single time is it used in a positive way. There's a passage in Hebrews that speaks about a tithe, and it's simply recounting uh, the historical fact of how Abraham paid a tenth to Melchizedek. But every other time that tithe shows up, Jesus uses it in an example where he is trying to highlight those who are wanting to build themselves up. They stand on the street corners and they say, I give a tenth. How does he care if you give a tenth? You can't even keep the law. So if you think that 10% of your income is somehow pleasing God, you've got it wrong. I do, however, want to make sure that I recognize that the tithe is really instituted before the law. This is those passages in Hebrews. So Abraham comes before Moses. So the law isn't given yet. And he sets really a a pattern that will be followed throughout the people of God by giving a tenth of all he has to the righteous king Melchizedek. However, we can look even before Abraham. You could turn to the very front of your Bible and look in Genesis To see that the very first two children on earth, Cain and Abel, they both came and brought offerings to God. It may not have been a tenth, but it was needed and required to be done with the right heart. And if you think giving a tenth is getting the job done, you've got it wrong. We're we're, going to see how, uh, as we, we look through this, that the percentage matters much less than the manner in which it's given. Everybody kind of understand that? We're good on this idea of a tithe? All right. Lastly is out of greed. And this is just one I think that you see showing up more often today. Uh, The Bible will speak of this too in in, uh, Paul's day to Timothy. He'll say there are many people who think that the gospel is a means to get rich. And that if you're giving to God, you yourself will get a kickback. Unfortunately, today, this is what we find primarily on what's toted as Christian television. Have you heard of the health and wealth gospel? Anyone heard of that? Uh, the name it and claim it gospel. The prosperity gospel. I, I, it really does my heart well if you have a question mark over your head with that because uh, it's not anything that needs to be fed into the mind or the heart of the Christ follower. But the false message is this, that God wants to bless you, so if you give... God will give to you, which makes what's the reason to give then? So that I get something. 
You, you know what that is? That's the stock market. That's what that is. Right? That, that's uh, your 401k is what that is. That, that's an investment that is not giving to God. You have been fooled being conformed into how the world thinks about giving and you've tried to apply that to God. So th- these are all misconceptions on what giving really is. And for the rest of our time this morning, I'd like to see if we can work on some reformations that we would understand what it truly means to give. And what I would want to offer to you is the heart of every Christ follower as you pursue giving. Number one is this. Some principles here. Everything is God's. Everything is God's. Well, pastor, you don't know how much I worked for. I saved up my whole life. Too bad. It's God's. It's not yours. Everything belongs to God. Uh, Some verses to help us with that. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. John 1 verse 3, talking about the Word made flesh. Through Him, that's Jesus, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. 1 Corinthians 10, 26, it's tough to get around this one. For the earth is the Lord's. And everything in it. Um, the other day we had some some crackers, and my three-year-old Sadie, uh, she snatched them off the table. She likes to get this little attitude sometimes, where she just takes things and then runs around the house with them. And then, and I was trying to eat, right? Well, she took them off the table, and she comes back and she pulls one out and she gives it to me, <laughs> as as though I'm supposed to thank her, right? That that these are hers, and she gives me another one, right? Hey, darling, those are mine. How how foolish would it be for her to think that I should honor her in some way for for giving me what's mine? You understand? It's all mine. She had it in her hand at the time. But if she thinks for a minute that I owe her anything because she's given me what's already mine, she's got another thing coming. (laughs) How, How foolish would it be for us to think that God owes us anything when in fact we are the ones who simply hold the treasure that's his. It's all his. So when we give a portion of it to him, it's not coming from us. That belongs to him anyways. We set it aside. We make it holy. We separate it from everything else we use in our life to honor God with it and to do so as, a, as an example of first fruits that we would want to please God by offering back to him what is already his without an expectation to think he owes us anything. So that's number one. Um, everything is God's. It's true. It doesn't matter if you believe it. It's true. All right, number two. You can't outgive God. I'm just sharing that with you this morning. You can't outgive God. If you, if you doubt that's true, try it sometime. It'll take faith to try it. Don't, don't give according to any plea that you hear from the pulpit, all right? But if you want to see if God is going to provide, try to outgive him because you can't do it. It's impossible. He will always meet you with exactly what you need and more than what you could ask for. Some verses to help us with that from Luke 6. <coughs> Speaking here in terms of giving, Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. 
A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You can't outgive them. There, there have been moments in my life where I've just sensed the spirit leading, especially when I was back on the mission field because we had a lot of, uh, we had a lot of financial needs at the school where we were serving. Didn't have the money to pay it, but I, I thought, you know what? I've got some money saved up. I'm just going to take a step of faith, and I'm going to, I'm going to buy for the school what's needed. And I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of losing my safety net here in doing this. And I remember the, the day that that uh, conviction came upon my heart. I just knew. Well, now I got to obey it. So I did it. And that night, that exact evening, I got a phone call from my director out of the blue who said, I just want to let you know, we got a random donation for you came in today for the exact amount that I gave. Now, you cannot tell me that that's a coincidence. And I, I kind of hang my hat on that event having happened of proof that I can't outgive God. That when I follow by faith and the convictions and the leadings that he gives me, he is true to his word. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You can't outgive God. You're not going to find yourself a pauper or a beggar in the street because you gave to God. His promise is that he will take care of you. So, first of all, everything is his. Secondly, you cannot give God. Uh, number three in reformation is that it is better to give than it is to receive. The only way in which in my life I was able to understand this is by giving. When you grow up as a kid, what, what's your favorite day of the year? Birthday. Yeah, it's your birthday. Why is it your birthday? Because you get. Yes. Okay, what's the second best day of the year? Christmas. Christmas. Good. You guys are all on the same page here. Yeah. Why? Because, because we love to what? We love to get. And it's so much fun. I would have never known the blessing that it is to give rather than to get until I gave. I, I can think of a time in college where there was a friend going on a short-term mission trip and the Lord had blessed me with an abundance. I had more than I needed. And so I anonymously just put money in an envelope, sent it into her post office and she opened it up and just, she started weeping because the Lord provided for her. Now, I didn't know the exact amount and I didn't know her situation. I just knew, hey, here was somebody who wanted to go on a mission trip. She needed support. God had given me an abundance. And I remember watching her response and just feeling like, wow, this is a good feeling. This is fantastic. These are the words of Jesus in uh, Acts chapter 20. Um, he's being quoted here by Paul because Paul is telling the church that he's leaving. He says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself who said, It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. What a blessing it is to give. If God has put you in a position of earning an income where you have an abundance, you hopefully know how true this is. It's such a blessing to give. Now, you don't need to take my word for it. It's true whether you believe it or not. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Number four, <clears throat> we give to God, not to people, not to organizations. 
the reason why this is important is because we need to see giving to God as something that transcends Sunday morning. I'm going to say that again. We need to see that giving to God is something that transcends. It's larger than gathering together on Sunday morning. You can give to God to other ways in which he is moving. In fact, that is the pattern we see in the Bible. Wherever God is moving, we see people giving. We read in the Gospels that as Jesus was going on, uh, there were women who gave out of their own means to support him. We read as to how Jesus sends out the disciples. He says, don't take any bread. Don't take an extra tunic. You got your sandals. You got the word. Go. And as they go, people provide. And they're given what they need. Where God is moving, that's where you can give. Where you sense the spirit leading, that's where you can give. Because you don't give to organizations. If you write out a check to Grace Presbyterian, don't give to Grace Presbyterian. You're doing it wrong. You give to God. This was a message that we worked hard to communicate to our supporters when we were missionaries. We wanted them to understand that as they supported us, though they were excited about the work that we were doing, we would tell them routinely, make sure you know that you're giving this to God. This is worship to God that you are offering. And you're doing so through the ministry that we are part of. But don't think you're giving to us. All right, don't think you're, I have to report it on my taxes otherwise if you're giving to us, right? But you are giving to God. You give to God, not organizations. Here's some verses to help with that. Matthew 6, that, that's, that's our passage for today, right? Did you see what he says? So that your giving may be in secret, and then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Hold on a minute, time out. I thought they were giving to the needy. Uh, in fact, if you go and you look at Matthew 6, you'll find that it's mentioned twice, right? Verse 2, when you give to the needy. And verse 3, when you give to the needy. But apparently Jesus wants you to understand you're not giving to the needy, you're giving to God. God's the one who sees what's done. In Philippians 4.18, uh, Paul says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to me. Is that what it said? Pleasing to who? Yeah, the Philippians might have been like, Oh, Paul, we were given to you. We wrote out the check to you. Paul wants them to understand you need to be reformed in your thinking. You don't give to me. Who are they giving to? They're giving to God. We don't give to organizations. We don't give to people or individuals. When we give, we give to the work of God. All right, number five. The gift is measured by the heart. This is a, this is a crucial one. It's one that I'm, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles for. Go to Mark chapter 12. The gift is measured not by the amount. It's measured by the heart. Matthew 12, verse 41. Page 1574 in the Pew Bibles. <laughs> What's your heading say? <coughs> Excuse me. What the, <laughs> the widow's offering. <clears throat> verse uh, verse forty one. Everybody there? 
Mark, Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Sounds a little nosy, doesn't it? Let me, let me just watch everybody giving their money. Many rich people threw in large amounts. 100, 200, 1,000. Tossing in large amounts, right? But a poor widow came and put two very small copper coins. Can you hear them? Can you hear them hit the bottom? Ding, ding. That was it. I got to tell you a story real quick. We're, we're going to pull this back. <coughs> my practice, and, excuse me, I'm struggling. My practice in my family is that I don't carry money. When I receive money, I give it right to my wife. It's a, it's a good decision, man. Just hand it right to her. <laughs> so she has all the money in her purse. And on a Sunday, very much like this Sunday, where my family was sick, um, and we were over on, on the mission field, and I was the missionary, so I, I needed to go to church. But she stayed home with the kids. And I realized I was, I was attending a really, it was a small, small church. In fact, routinely they would have 10 or 11 folks that would attend the service. However, on this particular Sunday, most of them were out of town. And so I came into the service, and the only people who were there was me and the pastor and the worship leader. It was the three of us. <clears throat> Two or three people came in as the service continued on towards the end. But as I came in, I thought, oh, shoot, I have nothing to give to the offering because what you don't want to be is the foreign missionary that when they pass the plate, you're like, nah. <laughs> like you, you want to put something in, you know, to, to show that you're contributing, but I don't carry any cash. So I went to my pickup truck, and do you guys use your ashtray for coins? Anybody do that, right? Well, I had, I had like pennies and nickels and coins, so I just grabbed them all, just this handful, right? Thinking that there'd be enough people that I could just put it in and nobody would know. You see where the story is going here. That's the most embarrassed I think I've ever been in church. The, the pastor comes and the pastor with the plate and here I am ding, 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 dropping in coins and I look up at him and I just smell. It was all I had. It was all I had. All right, go with me back to Mark. The, the poor widow, she came and she put in two very small copper coins, only worth a fraction of a penny. Now watch this. This is awesome. Verse 43, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. What? I think the disciples figured Jesus was bad at math at this point or something. Can't you count? Judas is probably really hot under the collar, right? This can't be right. Are you kidding me? Look what he says, verse 44. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything that she had to live on. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He's referencing the Corinthian church that provided a gift to him. He says, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has. Not according to what one does not have. Look, whatever you have, 
It's, first of all, it's God's. But you have the ability to give. And the amount is measured not by counting dollars and pennies and cents. The amount is measured by your willingness. The amount is measured by what's in your heart. That's the amount that you give. So we could be here this morning, and, and when we pass the offering, there may be somebody here who just puts in a buck. And they'll give more than anybody else here. Because they're giving out of what they have, not of what they don't have. Is everybody with me on this principle, right? That when we talk about giving, the gift is measured by the heart. It's not measured by the amount. All right, lastly, as we try to reform how we think about giving, God loves a cheerful giver. This was the passage that Lois led to. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly, fine, I'll give, fine. Or out of compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. I just have uh, three recommendations, applications for us to think about as we try to apply this idea of being reformed according to the gospel in light of giving. Number one is this. I want to challenge you to give out of your first fruits. Give out of your first fruits. This, this really satisfies the first three of those principles. Remember, first of all, everything is God's. It all belongs to him. I remember hearing a preacher once say that uh, when he got to January 1st, the start of a new year, he'd pull out his checkbook, and for every month, he'd write out the check. He'd just write out 12 months of checks, just like that, even before he got there, because what was he doing? He was pre-planning that no matter what circumstances come my way, I will honor God first. I'm not going to give out of the extra. I'm not going to give after I paid everything, and then I'll honor God. Did you hear the reading from Malachi this morning? Did you listen to Lois as she read? What was the problem there? Remember, people were offering these sacrifices that were these leftover, these, these crippled lambs. And they were bringing those to God like, here you go. You can have this. All, all the good ones I'm keeping for myself. You can have the leftovers, God. If you didn't catch it, go back and read Malachi. Because he said, my name will be great. I am not pleased with you. Oh, that somebody would shut the doors of the temple. You're burning useless fires. You're accomplishing nothing if you're giving after the fact. Now, I want you to know that this is not easy. It's not an easy thing to give out of your first fruits, but I believe that it honors God. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 say, Honor God with the first of your offering, with the first fruits, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Uh, the other thing that this helps with uh, is the danger of money. Uh, routinely, you will find that the scripture will speak about money as being something that will compete with your dependency on God. Jesus will say, you can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. Serve the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So my challenge to you is, this is my recommendation. Put giving to God first. Don't even give your paycheck a chance to control you, that you depend on it. Give to God first. Now, I, I don't care what that amount is. My challenge to you is just make giving to God first. Secondly is this, give in secret. And this really accomplishes uh, the numbers four and number five. When you give in secret, you recognize you don't give to people. I'm giving to God. So don't tell anybody what you give. Don't. 
don't. <laughs> my dad used to always do this when he uh, put the offering in, because at the church we were at, they would have a little window in the in the um, in the envelope, so you could see the amount. I guess that was to help the people counting the money. But he would always put it upside down like this. Right? And I'd say, Dad, why do you do that? And he said, Well, I don't want anyone to know what we give. True confession. I started peeking after that to see what, you know. I want you to know, I don't know what you give. As the pastor of this church, I have no clue whether you give more than anybody or if you don't give anything at all. And frankly, I don't care. The danger would be for me as the pastor that I might start wanting to butter up with those that are... That are giving, hey man, come sit down for, or what, you know, whatever it is, because I'd show favoritism. I don't know who gives what, and I don't want to know who gives. You need to give in secret. And if you do so, you'll understand that you're giving to God. You additionally, for number five, will recognize that the gift will be measured by your heart. Just as Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, God who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Not any man, not any woman. Give out of your first fruits, give in secret, and lastly, give as worship. This was number six, because God loves a what? A cheerful giver. I have one passage uh, for us to look at, and then we're done. Go to John chapter 12. It's our concluding passage for this morning, John chapter 12. I want you to see a story of what it looks like to give out of worship. 1670. All right, page 1670 in the Pew Bibles, uh, John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary, watch this now, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, it's a perfume, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who, who is Judas? He, what was his job? Anyone know? He was the treasurer, right? Judas' job was to keep tabs of all the cash, right? He was the one count, counting all the money. But one of his disciples, verse 4, Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, now who thinks that Judas was really going to give the money to the poor? In fact, John wants you to know that wasn't what was going on. Because look at verse 6. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself as to what was put into it. What did Mary do? She gave, how much, how much was it worth? Do you remember reading? A year's wages. I doubt anybody here can match that kind of devotion to God. Maybe you can. What I want you to recognize is that Mary counted it worth less than what she could offer to Jesus. She wanted to worship him. 
what happened with the money was inconsequential to her. It was worship that mattered. It, it, it prompted in my mind a question that I wanted to ask you. Mary gave up a year's worth of salary. She gave up this perfume that probably was part of her, her dowry, probably something that she would have used for her future. What would you be willing to give up in order to give it to God? What would you be willing to give up in order to give it to God? As I thought about that question, it occurred to me that there's actually a deeper question. Which isn't, what would you give up? But rather, do you believe that these are true? Because if you believe that this was true, that everything is God and you cannot give Him, it's better to give than to receive. And when we give, we give to God. And the gift is measured by the heart, not by the amount. And that God loves a cheerful giver. If we really believe this, I would submit to you today that there isn't a thing that you own that you wouldn't be willing to give to God. It's less a matter of thinking through, boy, this is really going to cost me. Uh, Let me check the bank account. It's less of this. And it's everything to do with worship. Will you pray with me this morning?